Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. We are, my Lord, only my wife. We've been in our series called Multiply. We're studying through the book of Acts, and we're trying to see how did the first century church live, behave, and believe, and what does that mean for us now as a new church here in the 21st century. Last week, we studied the beginning of the ministry of a deacon by the name of Philip, and so that's where we will be this morning in Acts chapter 8. Before we begin there, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of the 1040 window? The 1040 window. The 1040 window is a rectangular area of North Africa to East Asia, and that also includes the Middle East. And it's called the 1040 window because this particular area of the globe is located approximately between 10 uh, degrees latitude north and 40 degrees north latitude. Why, Brandon, are you asking us about this 1040 window? It is this particular area of our world that includes the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. Approximately four billion people reside in 8,200 distinct people groups in this window. Over, hear me church, over 5,600 of these people groups are considered unreached people groups. Church, that's approximately three billion people. That's 40% of the world's total population. Three billion people have never heard the saving news of Jesus Christ. The 1040 window. That area without the gospel three, hell will increase by three billion plus people. Even in our own city church 53 percent of the residents of the Wichita metro area don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. What then are we to do as the body of Christ about this 1040 window? What are we to do about the 53%? Your neighbors, your co-workers, Maybe even your loved ones. What are we as the body of Christ to do about this epidemic of this unreached people group? I want to pose to you 
that these statistics, these facts, are why missions matter. And so if we are to be a mission-minded people, what does that look like? I don't have to make it up for you. I don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We can go to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26. Find me there. Pick me up at Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through number 40. Mute these. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse number 26. Our custom here at the British Church is to stand in honor and reverence of God's holy word. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 reading from the English Standard Version. And here's what, let's read those verses. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. and the beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Athos. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Missions matter. Missions matter. What has to happen for mission work to be effective? Look with me, first of all, at the preparation for missions. The preparation for missions, verses 26 through 34. The proper preparation for effective missions begins with God. Not with man, with God. God, friends, is the initiator of effective missions. Look, look, God begins the whole enterprise of missions by first choosing certain individuals to be a part of his family. It, and in his own timing, God begins to woo certain individuals to himself. Friends, as I've told you time and time again, salvation is a total work of God. Not, not, it's not man's work at all. Because remember, the Bible says this. This is the anthropologic uh, 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 teaching about man. No man seeks after God. On our own, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We are a hopeless people without God. But God, after he chooses certain individuals, and in his own timing, it is God who activates the human heart for salvation. Now, we know that faith, the faith that, 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 that saves comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. However, how can they hear without a preacher or, or an, an evangelist or a messenger? So, so what God uses in this process of saving man is he says, I'm going to use man as my instrument to share the gospel so that sinners can hear the good news. And here in our passage, Philip is that instrument. Philip is the messenger. God begins in our passage by calling the missionary. God calls Philip. Look, look with me at verse 26. He says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Hey, this is a desert place. That's not funny. <laughs> Where was I? God begins by calling the missionary. This is what God does. God speaks to Philip through one of his angels. The angel, by the way, the word angel, angelos, in the Greek literally means messenger. These are God's messengers. The angel of the Lord tells Philip, get up and go south. 
Let me set this up for you. Remember last week, Philip, the church had been scattered, and Philip found himself in Samaria. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. And so now God says, I want you to go south to Gaza. He's in Samaria. Jerusalem is here. And so now God is telling, saying to him, I want you to go to the southwest corner to Gaza. So he's going from Samaria back through Jerusalem, and now he's going to go to Gaza. And Luke adds this particular note. He says that this place where I'm sending you is a desert place. This is not Dubai. This is not Hawaii. He says, I'm sending you to a desert place. To understand what this means, you have to realize that there were two Gazas. There was an old Gaza, and then there was a new Gaza. Old Gaza was destroyed by Alexander Janius in around 98 B.C. And I mean, he just ruined the place, ransacked it. But then later, when the Romans were in power, about 56 B.C., they rebuilt Gaza just a little bit away from the old Gaza. So more than likely, Luke is telling us as the readers that he went to the old Gaza that had been ruined. Now, the other thing I notice about God's call to this particular missionary is God doesn't give him all the information up front. Watch it. He tells him where to go, but he tells him to whom he's going. There is no information even about how Philip will provide for himself. There's no information about where he will stay. Friends, God's call often comes without all the details. I'm doing my best. God's call often comes without all the details. And friends, if we are going to be on mission for God, we must learn to be comfortable with trusting God in the unknown. Can I testify real quick? Lord said, God, he, he brought me to my knees and I said, I'm available. Here am I. Send me. And God says, all right, I'm sending you to Wichita, Kansas. I said, I didn't mean you sent me there, Lord. <laughs> and so, but I said, I surrender all. And so to Wichita, Kansas, I was on my way. Whoa, but wait a minute. I got the offer to come to Wichita, Kansas. After I hung up the phone with our representative from Western Free, then all the questions came. But we don't know nobody. We don't know anybody. We don't know nobody. That's how we say it, where I'm from. My salary was only guaranteed for one year. I plan to be living for a long time, Lord, so how am I going to make it after that one year? Lord, what about my wife? She, she, she was in medical school at the time. Lord, I don't have any friends. I don't have any connections. Our sending church said we can give you kind of some startup funds. Ideally, you would, you know, give give it back over time. But Lord, how am I going to sustain a ministry 
a church plant. Because somebody's going to have to preach, and whoever preaches got to get paid. We're going to have to have a facility to, to, to worship in on a regular basis. How are we going to pay the rent, Lord? Look, I, they want me to raise money, and they said go to your family and friends to raise money. I'm going to tell y'all something. Everybody I know, they broke. <laughs> and so, Lord, you want me to go to Wichita, Kansas, to plant a church. By the way, Lord, how you do that? Lord, I need some details here. God says, go. I'm driving down. I told you this before. I get to Kansas. I just preached the word. I'm driving down Oliver, and the Lord says, preach the gospel. I got the rest. <laughs> some of y'all would have stayed in Dallas because you didn't have all the details. You didn't have all the facts. But all God says, I just need a willing vessel, and I will provide. Oh, I'm in this house today. And what the Lord has shown me is that he is a God who provides. After 18 months, God has let me lead a church that's never been late on any bill. He's let me lead a church that raised a quarter of a million dollars in one year. I don't know how. Lord, you sent me to the hood. But the Lord says we're going to bring hope to the hood through the gospel. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. You've got to be comfortable with following God even in the unknown. God says, Philip, I want you to go. Friends, are you comfortable? Will you go without all the information? The other thing I notice here is it's God's, when God calls, a response is required. You, you will answer explicitly or implicitly. Implicitly, You will respond. Philip shows us how the believer should respond to God's call to mission. Because here's the commentary on Philip. He says, he got up and went. That's called, friends, obedience. Obedience. Here's the thing I hope you know. That when following Christ, obedience is required. From day one to you get to glory, obedience is required. Matter of fact, not just in missions, obedience is required every day of our walk with God. So as we move forward in this narrative, we continue to see God's hand. The focus, remember, the preparation for missions is God. But we continue to see God's hand in this narrative. Because the text says as Philip is traveling on this road, he, he's on his way from Samaria to Gaza. The text says while he's traveling, he happens to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. It is God who has sovereignly orchestrated this divine encounter. Friends, it is highly unlikely that these two would have ever encountered one another if God had not called Philip and told him to go to Gaza. Friends, here's a note. Let me put a, put a note here. Every day, God orders our steps and our stops. God, friends, 
is directing us and leading us to, he sends us to certain places to encounter certain individuals who are in need of the gospel. When you go to Aldi's, when you go to Dylan's, when you go to the Y, when you go to Planet Fitness or Genesis, when you go to work, God is sovereignly ordering your steps. Nothing for the child of God happens by chance. God is sovereignly ordering your steps. The question is, do we spend enough time in the presence of God to know his voice? To hear that still, small voice to say, go to them. Strike up a conversation. Are we sensitive to his voice and his leading to know when those divine moments are? Let me, let me give you some information about this Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, what is a eunuch? It was, first of all, it was just a title for court officials. Anyone who was a court official would be referred to as a eunuch. However, it goes a little bit further than that. Men, hold on. It was also used to refer to males who had been emasculated or castrated. Now, moving on. This eunuch's official position was the minister of finance. The text says he was over all the treasure of Candace, the queen. Now, by the way, Candace was not her name. That was her title. All the queens were Candace, but they had another title. And so this man who's been castrated, they don't want any frisky business with the queen, He's from Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia, let's talk about that. This was not the Ethiopia as we know it today. This Ethiopia was in the ancient land of Cush. These people would have been descendants of Ham. In this Ethiopia, it referred to all the southern part of Africa at the time. And so this, it would have been situated in modern-day Sudan. This Ethiopia, where Philip, I mean, excuse me, where this eunuch was from, was the king, kingdom of Nub, N-U-B-E. So the people, the, the citizens of this kingdom were Nubians. They were dark-skinned people. Now, the fact that he was a eunuch is significant in our story. Why is that? Well, you have to go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. Here's what the law said. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So even if this eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship, he could not have entered the innermost part of the temple. He would have been relegated to an outer court called the court of Gentiles. That's if he went to the temple. It may have been that he just went to one of the synagogues in Jerusalem. 
Friends, and the reason this is significant, that this man is a eunuch, is because what we are seeing here is the gospel reaching those on the margins. The gospel is going to the least, the lost, the last, the left out. The, the gospel is now being offered to those who were previously excluded from the community of salvation. Friends, this is all a work of God, which means for us that God cares about people on the margins. God cares about the poor, the homeless, the immigrant, the refugee, the widow, the orphan. In our text, those on the margin were people of other races. I told you these were dark-skinned people. They look like your pastor. <laughs> for us, the significance of that church is that there's no place for racism in the body of Christ. It is impossible, hear me, it is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself and harbor racism in your heart at the same time. I got another sermon on that in a couple of weeks. Come back. So the text tells us that this eunuch was, he's riding in his chariot and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And so Deacon Philip happens to hear him reading because in ancient times, everybody read out loud. And so the spirit taps Philip on the shoulder and says, there you go. That's your divine assignment. Go over to that chariot and join it. Once again, we see God's hand in this encounter, encounter because the spirit is guiding Philip in his words. Friends, how close are you with the Holy Spirit? Do you know when he's leading and guiding you? And he is alive and well even in this day. I don't care what the fundamentalists say, the Holy Spirit, he didn't cease to exist in Acts. He's still alive and working today. I've told you time and time again, I don't want to know me without the Holy Ghost. Woo, y'all, when my flesh leads and guides the way, I am, ooh, I don't even tell y'all, but it's scary. I'm even scared of myself. So I know the Holy Spirit is working because he changes and transforms. I'm saying some of y'all that if it, if, it, if it had not been for the Holy Spirit, you'd be in jail right now. If it had not been for the Holy Spirit, you'd be divorced right now. If it had not been for the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even be saved right now. So he says, Go to this chariot and join him. And so Isaiah says, hey, he probably didn't say that, but we're going to use our sanctified imagination. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that word understand means to grasp the significance or meaning of something. This eunuch's response is, how can I unless someone guides me? It's free. Reading doesn't guarantee understanding. 
And so he asked Philip, you've got to explain to me the meaning of this text that I'm reading. The fact that this man is reading scripture, this Ethiopian, this man from Africa, is reading scripture and asking questions about it shows that God has already begun to do the work in this man's heart. The proper preparation for missions is God. Here's my point. I took all this time to just say this. Without God, we fail in all of our evangelistic and mission work. We cannot go in our own power. We must rely on the power, the provision of God. We must rely on God to be effective missionaries. Let's move on. So we see the preparation for missions, but look secondly with me at the presentation of the message. Verse number 35. Here's what it says. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, by the way, he told him the good news about Jesus. Hear me, church. The purpose of missions is sharing the gospel. Y'all saying, duh, no, no, no. Because I say, let's go on a mission trip, and what's y'all question? Besides where we going is, what we going to do? I say missions, and we want to know, are we going to build a well? We, we, are we going to build a house? We going to paint a house? We going to start a school? We, we, we think about the activity, and those things are good. But those things are not an end in themselves when it comes to mission work. They are a means to an end. What you are doing is building a bridge for you to be able to cross over in some other cultural context so that you can tell them about Jesus. If the goal is not Jesus, we shouldn't support that mission work. That's a nice vacation. That's a community service project. It ain't missions. I, 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 I'm tired of the church funding all these things where Jesus is not the goal and the focus. That 1040 window, three billion people are going to hell while we're building houses. Again, I'm not demonizing the work. Those are great things. Keep doing them, and we'll help with those if the goal is Jesus. I went to India two weeks ago, two weeks ago, two years ago. <laughs> quick trip, quick trip. Two years ago, y'all, it was at least a $3,500 to $5,000 trip. God provided, by the way, I didn't pay a dollar of it. So God will provide. But think about, we spent all that money just to do some service projects. Now, we need to do those service projects because in that 1040 window are the poorest of the poor. The poor folk here in America are like middle class compared to these people. And so we need to do that. Are y'all hearing me say that? I'm not demonizing the work, the activity. We should do that. But the goal is Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus. Now, the key to effective preparation 
excuse me, to effective presentation is pointing people to the truth of Scripture. You're saying, whoa, 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 I, I, I don't want you to argue Scripture. The reason Scripture is important is because all of Scripture points to Jesus. And we see that in our passage this morning. The Scripture that this eunuch was reading was Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is all about this suffering servant. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's all in Isaiah 53. If you need a pick-me-up, turn your Bible to Isaiah 53. It will shout you. Y'all think we was having church when I was singing by and by? Read Isaiah 53. You'll think you're Pentecostal in a heartbeat after you read Isaiah 53. Because the focus is Jesus. And so Philip says... I'm going to tell you who this suffering servant is, and it's none other than Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah that's been promised by the prophets. This is the good news. It's, it is incumbent upon the missionary to be able to explain the basic truths of Scripture and point people to Jesus. Now, notice what Philip does. He makes Jesus the focal point. Here's what Philip could have done. When the eunuch asked them, who is the suffering servant, Philip could have said, well, there's about three or four different theories out there about who this suffering servant is. Some say it was Isaiah. Some said it was Israel. Some said it was Jesus. Some just don't know. He doesn't start with the theories. He could have said, well, before we talk about that, we probably need to talk about how many Isaiahs there actually were that wrote the book of Isaiah? This is a thing, y'all. I'm telling you. You get to the book of Isaiah, you can't even start studying the scriptures because people don't talk about, were there, was there one Isaiah, two Isaiahs, three Isaiahs, four Isaiahs? This is a thing. I'm telling you. I'm for real. For real, for real. And, my, my, and because you see things, you see kind of a change in the, the writing as you read it closely. And what I tell people, this is not a different Isaiah, a, a different person, but it's a changed Isaiah. This, this Isaiah has been so changed by the revelation uh, of God that revealed in Scripture that he's not the same anymore. And that ought to be the same case for us. When you encounter God, you ought to be a changed person. You ought to not talk the way you used to talk. And now it's a process. Because every now and then, them four-letter words pop up. You'd be like, where'd that come from? Trust me, I know. I live with Cunnilin. <laughs> hey, now. He doesn't start talking about all these theories. He points the conversation back to Jesus. He, he doesn't even take the time to this Ethiopian to, to, to argue the inspiration of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. He says, no, 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 let's just talk about Jesus. He, how many of you have ever, have ever heard people say, I, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because I can't stand that church? I, amen. Ain't no hurt like church hurt. I'm telling you. But, but what we've got to do, even in that moment, is focus people back on Jesus. Tell them, I'm not offering you the church. I'm offering you Jesus. 
And by the way, as messy as the church is, Jesus died for her. You can't have Jesus without the church. The Bible describes them as a marriage. He's the bridegroom. She's his bride. That's like you saying, that's like uh, Jim Farthing inviting me, and and, and he uh, says, I want you to come to my house. You can come, but don't bring Connie. I only want something to do with you, but not kind of Lynn. I'll be like, Jim, you, you crazy, man. We are one. The fo- Here's my point. When you get in these arguments with folk, and you, as you are trying to share Jesus with them, don't engage in the conversations. And you can always just tell them, look, I don't know nothing about all that, but I do know a man who changed my life. Focus the conversation on Jesus. He can hold his own. All right, I got to get out of here. It's lunchtime. In the presentation, friends, there must also be an invitation. You, you must invite that person to respond to Jesus. There must be an invitation to say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. An invitation to believe or reject you're here today and you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and join this family of God. Trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You you cannot be right with God outside of Jesus. Why is this important? How do we know that Philip gave an invitation for this man to respond? Because this man, he rolls up in his Rolls Royce, I mean his Rolls Chariot, He's in his chariot and he said, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized, the fact that this man wants to be baptized and the fact that Philip baptizes him shows that this man was invited to trust in Jesus Christ. And he responded in the affirmative in church. That finally, I got to get out of here. That's the power of the message. There is saving power in the gospel. That's why you're not going to show up to the bridge church and I'm not going to start preaching you how to have your best life now. I'm going to preach the gospel because your best life now is a joke here on earth. My best life ain't until I see Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel and see folks change, see souls saved. Even those who are saved, see them sanctified because of the gospel. I'm not going to come in here to preach you how to be happy. That, that, that ain't what you're going to hear from the bridge. So if that's what you thought when you're going to come to the bridge, this ain't the church. Turn it on TBN. Because you ain't going to get it at the bridge. We preach the gospel here. Because Jesus told, told us it will always be happy. You will suffer. And suffering is never happy. But, 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 but joy is on its way. Weeping may endure for the night. Church, and if you can just make it through the night, joy is coming in the morning. You, 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 the gospel. This man is saved because one man said, I'm ready to go come hell or hot water for life or death. I'm willing to go for you, God. And because he's willing to go, he goes and he shares the gospel. And now there's another name written in the Lamb's book of life. How do we deal with the 1040 window? we got to have some faithful servants, some willing, submissive servants who are saying, here am I. Send me. 
even if it's the 1040 window. This man says, then he says, I'm going to be baptized. Why, why, why is this significant? Because baptism is the first act of obedience after you believe. Baptism signifies our union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a public sign. Baptism is a public sign that I'm on the Lord's team now. We just watched some game called the Super Bowl. Some small game. Do you, how confusing would it have been if everybody on that field wore the same jersey? But 11, at least 11 at a time, 11 men said, I'm going to put on a certain color jersey because I want everybody to know that I'm with this team. Yes, then another group of 11 men said, no, 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 I'm going to put on a different jersey because I want to tell the world I'm with this team. When you get baptized, you, put, you, you spiritually put on the jersey of Jesus. And you announce that to the world that I made a clean break with my old way of life, with my old self, and now I'm on the Lord's team. I may get some flags thrown at times because I'm not going to talk like I ought to. I, don't, I may not walk like I want to. So every now and then, there, there, there may be some flags and some fouls, but guess what? They've been nailed to the cross so that I'm not unsaved, but I can repent and be forgiven. Let's get out of here, church. Come on, worship team. As I get ready to close here, here's what I want us to do. Because missions matter, I want us to pray for some of our overseas missionaries. If you know some, you can pray for them. Our church, the Bridge Church, supports one individual, Colin Cooper, who is in India. and He's been on the ground there for a few years now. And so we support him financially. If you didn't know that, now you do. We support him on a monthly basis, so we want to lift up Colin Cooper, and we want to pray for God's blessing, protection, and work for Colin Cooper. We also have a family here. They, they didn't even know I was going to mention this. We have a family here in uh, less than a year, I believe. They're going to hit the mission field overseas. This, that's the layers. Y'all wave your hands. Wave them in the air. Yeah, wave them up. Lift them up, y'all. So, and they're going to Tanzania, right? And they're going to be on the field there. We need to start praying now for them. We don't want to wait to get to the mission field. We want to start praying for them now, for God's provision, for God's protection, for the planning, for their, for their travel. So we're going to pray for overseas missionaries. Not only that, but as I said earlier, God told Philip to go on this road, travel down this road, and he met this Ethiopian eunuch. I want you to pray specifically for you, for these, for you to be sensitive to those divine encounters where God sends you this week, for you to be sensitive to, to, to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then pray for boldness. I understand. Trust me. I get it. This, this can be a hard conversation and an uncomfortable conversation to have. But three billion people are about to swell hell. And so 
Our witness is a crucial part of them not going there. So pray for divine encounters this week and for boldness on your behalf. Here's the question I have. If God calls you, what will it take for you to go? Will it have to be clearly outlined? Or can you go by faith? Without faith, friends, it's impossible to please God. You've got to be willing to take some risk for God. And so the musicians are going to play some music softly. And you're going to pray for Colin Cooper, for the layers. If you know other individuals, pray for them as well. Pray for divine encounters this week. If you're here today, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus Christ, don't wait, don't hesitate. Don't delay. Tomorrow is not promised. I've said it time and time again. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Don't take life for granted. Jesus has sovereignly directed you here to the Bridge Church to hear the good news that Jesus saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been, what you've become. Jesus can change you. And he died for you. You are redeemable. God can forgive whatever sin you've committed. You can't out the grace of God. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. And so I entrust you. I, I beg of you, I plead you, and I urge you to trust in Jesus Christ and him alone today. All it requires to be saved is faith. Trusting in Jesus Christ, turning from whatever you are trusting in to make you right with God, to, to turning, by, and turning and trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. And you will be saved. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brandon, I'm saved. Have you made, have you been baptized? Have you gone to the water? Have you made a public declaration of who teams you're on now? You need to be baptized. We can help you with that. We've got a baptismal. We'll take you to the water here in the next couple of weeks. If you want, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ today, or if you need to be baptized, indicate so on your bridge car. And we will be in contact with you. Maybe you're here today saying, Brandon, I'm saved. Brandon, I've been baptized. My next question is, do you have a church where you are connected, where you are going, growing, serving, giving, contributing, and where you can be sent because missions matter? Now, that don't mean you have to go overseas. For some of us, that's what God's going to call us to. For others, he just says, I want you to just peek over the fence and talk to your neighbor. And that's going to be your mission field. But you need to be able to be supported. Loved, encouraged, challenged, and held accountable to a local church. And so if that place is the Bridge Church, we'd love to give you more information about what it looks like to be a member of the Bridge Church. Maybe the Bridge Church is not your cup of tea. That We're okay with that. You will not offend us. We know that this church, because of what we are doing, is not for everyone. And God didn't just plant the Bridge Church for it to be the one and only uh, gospel-centered church here in Wichita. There are other churches that are doing great things, and we, those are my friends, and we are cooperating for the kingdom of God. So if we can be of help to you of finding a good Bible-teaching, gospel-centered church, put that on the Bridge card. It would be my heart's delight and my joy to help you get connected to a church, because this thing is not just about the Bridge Church, it's about the kingdom. 
And when you join a gospel-centered, Bible-teaching church, Jesus-focused church, that's a win for the kingdom, and I'll take that every day. Believe it or not, I don't get offended easily. So you don't think you'll offend me by saying the British church is not for you. I don't get offended by that. I just want you connected where you can go grow and serve. You're here today and you said, Brandon, I've done all those things. Now what is the appeal? What will you do with this word that you've heard today? Maybe you need to deal with some of the resistance in your heart. Because you've gotten so comfortable with American Christianity that the 10 the ten for the window scares you to hell. Jesus went across enemy lines. Maybe you need to deal with some of those heart issues. Are you willing and able to go should Jesus call? And you're looking here to say, I I'm pretty sure I haven't been called to overseas missions. You have been called to home missions. How do I know you've been called? Because Jesus himself has commissioned us all as his disciples to go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to, do, to obey everything I have commanded. And Jesus says, as long as you're doing that, I'll be with you. And so maybe this, the application for you is that you need to repent for unfaithfulness to this commission. Let's take the time now to pray and respond.